seems strange not to have to take a mask off. Good morning, everyone. Good to see everyone here that's here. I don't think Mark's a mind reader, but my my uh, thoughts are racing. Um, it's tempting to tempting to try to just keep the conversation from Sunday school going on. Um, I was going to say the discussion picked at a scab, but I don't think that's right. Um, I don't think it poured salt in a wound. Maybe it just poked uh, poked something I've already been picking on. Um, and so, yeah, my my thoughts are very much trying to keep dragging me back towards some of the things I was hearing in Sunday school and how they apply to different things I've been thinking and praying through. Um, so hopefully uh, God can set those aside for me without uh, letting me lose them long term. Yesterday I had uh, an awful lot of notes uh, by about two o'clock yesterday afternoon, I was I was really wondering how I was going to trim down um, all the things I felt like I should be talking about into something that fit into 40 minutes or so. And with, well, a little bit after two, I I suddenly started feeling like, well, actually, I'm, I need to be studying and praying more about this. Um, and and now is not the time to talk about this. And anyway. God is good, and uh, something did come out of all of that, but um, I do feel maybe extra um, spread all over the place right now in, in my thoughts. If a nuke hit Loudoun County, Virginia tomorrow morning, the Internet would go down. Um, estimates are that nearly 80% of the world's internet traffic routes through northern Virginia, mostly Loudoun and Prince William counties. <clears throat> and when I say the internet would go down, I don't just mean <clears throat> the web, that you wouldn't be able to log on to your bank website and transfer money around, or you couldn't go to Lowe's.com and see if they have that thing you want to pick up or order. Um, a large part of the U.S. infrastructure would grind to a halt. A lot of the things that we don't think of as connected to the Internet are. Um, big phone companies don't use dedicated POTS lines anymore. A lot of their nationwide transport is actually happening over the Internet, um, even if you're using the old copper lines at the end of the line for you. Uh, many payment processing uh, options require internet connections and even if you would use a check and uh, the person you're paying doesn't try to run it electronically but takes it in a bag to the bank uh, the banks use ACH which now relies on the internet um, if if the internet were scrubbed if app stores closed all these virtual uh, what, uh, what was the term in the 
late 90s, the information superhighway. Um, if that shut down, um, all at once our online friends and followers vanish. Um, some people talk about the the, the new town square and, and um, how you have all your online forums or the new town square where people gather to, to talk and debate. All that goes away. No one could call, text, scroll, upload, like, comment, post. Would mankind be happier or sadder? Would mankind be more connected or more lonely? Uh, would our existence be better or worse? That was a question I ran across a few days ago. And that one really, that one got got my, my wheels turning. Um, would our existence be better or worse? Of course, very few things in life are as simple as we make them out to be or we would like them to be. And so saying a straight up or down, better or worse, might be kind of hard to figure out. But whatever your, your initial answer in your head to that, um, would our existence be better or worse, th there's one clear reason to, to vote that it would just be better. Um, that reason being all the slander and gossip and false accusations that travel through our, our network devices. Um, now, I'm guessing the men who sat in the gates of Sodom were spreading their fair share of gossip and slander. Um, I'm sure that in the days of Laura Ingalls roaming the prairies, anybody traveling through would have had their fair share of stories to tell that had a lot of gossip and whatever else mixed in. But now we can do it faster and with fewer hindrances than ever. Um, many neighbors, to use uh, Jesus' terminology of the people around us, many neighbors verbally assault their digital neighbor. It's clan against clan, misrepresenting mis mis each other, lying about each other, presenting half-truths, uh, smearing reputations without remorse or apology. And none of these are new problems. Um, we have a lot of warnings in Scripture uh, written before the printing press even. Um, we have a lot of warnings in Scripture about tail-bearing and, and um, gossiping and being busybodies. But that is something that has been greatly amplified by the way the world communicates these days. And by the world, I mean those of us living in, in the developed world, not just the world out there, but how we communicate today. Um, has has really amplified the negatives as much or more than it's amplified the positives. And the online world is is populated with many people who don't care that God once said, or more precisely, he etched in stone, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. I've I've been studying the Ten Commandments recently and and today's message very much uh, <clears throat> is, is influenced heavily by the Ninth Commandment. Though you start studying the Ten Commandments and you realize that uh, different groups have different numberings for where they all shake out. But anyway, What we would call the Ninth Commandment, 
about not bearing false witness. And and so today, the the title I have on on my notes is a witness of slander. Um, we have we have this threat of false witness. Um, now, if you if you read the Ten Commandments, you read what God said there about bearing false witness, and then you get into the book of the law following in, in Exodus 20, you have the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 21 through 23, you have the book of the law, then over in Deuteronomy 6, you have um, kind of a reiteration, and um, the context, as, as you look at that, those chapters as a whole, um, you see kind of a, a bent toward uh, false testimony in in court or in in kind of the formal way um, society interacted, and and so you have you have a lot of framework, um, and we'll, we're going to read some of the um, verses from Deuteronomy after a little bit probably um, about what God expected in in bearing false witness or, or not bearing false witness um, as it relates to. societal structure and operation. But remember, Jesus taught us that the commandment to not murder prohibits a lot more than just physical violence. The commandment to not uh, commit adultery applies way beyond the bedroom. And so, so don't bear false witness against your neighbor extends beyond just the formal that, that is so prevalent in, in Deuteronomy and Exodus um, as, as God spoke to, to the issue um, at greater, it, that, that covers our daily lives, online, offline, in the courtroom, in the church, in the parking lot, um, at the tax accountant's office, what have you. So Colossians 3.8 says, Now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. So Paul talks about what we speak, what comes out. Uh, He also in Ephesians 4 says to not let bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, um, put these away with all malice. Paul says what comes out of us matters. In James 4, um, we have more of a direct connection to... um, the, the prohibition of, of bearing false witness. When James in James 4.11 says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And speaking evil of a brother there seems to have the idea of um, saying, saying negative, saying bad things about your brother. So we have this thing of, of don't bear false witness. What's a witness? A witness is one who claims to have seen or heard, or uh, as it says in Leviticus 5, come to know the matter. Um, Leviticus 5.1, if a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath and is not a witness, excuse me, and is a witness, whether he has seen or known of the matter, if he does not bear it, he tells, he bears Excuse me. Let me try this again. If a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath and is a witness, whether he has seen or known of the matter, if he does not tell it, he bears guilt. Now, we're not really getting into obligation to 
uh, speak up when you've seen something. But in this case, um, we have there the definition, a biblical definition of what is a witness, someone who has seen or known of the matter. And that known of the matter in, in digging into the Hebrew as well as I could does not seem to be, well, I heard about it, um, but knows of it, has, has a firsthand knowledge of the matter. So it almost seems a little redundant, has seen or has known firsthand, which generally I would think of as seeing also. But anyway, it's not just you heard about it, you are a witness if you have experienced, seen, been firsthand to it. Witnesses ought to speak the truth they know, they testify. Um, Jesus in John 15 said um, he was talking to his disciples about witness and their bearing witness in him. And in John 15, 27, Jesus says, And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So Jesus tells his disciples they will bear witness about him because they've been with him. Um, they're testifying to firsthand knowledge. They will attest to what they've seen and heard. And witnesses were a mainstay in the Israelite uh, judicial system. They are in the U.S. judicial system and many judicial, judicial systems around the world today. Witnesses are the, well, basically the primary way that um, any sort of justice system figures out what happened. Um, I have my own set of thoughts about that, but that's not pertinent to today's message. Um, so their words often lead to vindication or condemnation. The, the, the person on the witness stand, what they say is often most directly going to influence acquittal or conviction. When uh, capital punishment, the death penalty, stood in the balance, the statement um, in Proverbs 18.21, death and life are, the, are in the power of the tongue, that rings quite literal, literal when, when, um, when a witness is on the witness stand in a capital case. Um, I recently was reading about the DC sniper shootings back in the early 2000s, and the events, what led up to it, what led up to them getting caught, and then their trials. Um, the younger of those two fellows is actually going to be up for parole very soon based on some recent cases in a Supreme Court case involving... Anyway, not important. Um, but the, the people who stood, sat on that witness stand and gave testimony to what they saw, heard, and experienced had a direct effect. Their words, to use the language of Proverbs 18.21, death and life were in the power of their tongue because... Uh, John Allen Muhammad was put to death, based in large part due to the testimony of the witnesses that confirmed that he was the one responsible for the killings. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Well, of course, oh, none of us are sitting on the witness stand. Well, let's keep going. False witnesses then, they were, they were a threat to individual lives um, in, in, I'm thinking especially of the society we see set up in in, um, in the Old Testament, in the Israelites, Exodus, Deuteronomy, etc. Um, they were, false witnesses were a threat to individual lives and also then to the health or the life of the group, the society, the community at large. Um, when, 
when false witness won out, um, it threatened everybody's way of life. A false witness could stir up animosity and division by lying and therefore perverting the truth, perverting justice even. Um, As we think about how God addresses how we bear false witness concerning our neighbor outside the courtroom, um, which is really the thrust of of the point I want to get across today, I do want us to first look at what he called for from witnesses in that more formal um, environment there in in the Old Testament. If So my children are kind of fascinated with Mars right now. Um, The... Is it the Perseverance rover uh, landed there not that long ago? And um, so, you know, we can see pictures of red dirt um, and whatnot. And so, and uh, we read through the Martian recently. But anyway, the they're, they're kind of fascinated with Mars. And while there's this whole push right now, especially by Elon Musk, though, let's, you know, let's put people on Mars by, I forget what crazy soon date, um, And I've listened to an interview in which he was talking about how he thought government on Mars should work, and it's just kind of like a little bit out in Goonie land um, by my perspective and understanding. Is that bearing false witness? Um, It doesn't ring very, rings a little weird for me. There we go. Um, But but I have thought then if, if I were responsible, if you were responsible to construct a society How would you prevent against false witnesses rising up and perverting justice or causing damage in that society? Um, And and that's kind of the picture I see as God laid out his his instructions and his rules in Exodus and Deuteronomy. He was laying out, he, he was establishing a society. The Israelites had come out of Egypt where governance mostly happened at a level that they weren't really involved in, and they were going to have to get together and govern themselves in, in, a, in a way. And God himself then gives me a picture in those verses of how he, he would govern that courtroom where jobs, reputations, credibility were, were all at stake. And of course, today, um, Jobs, reputations, credibility can lie at the mercy of a few clicks or a message or uh, a phone call. At least three principles kept Israel from devolving into he said, she said. Um, And the first was one witness was never sufficient. Um, In an online world, in the way we communicate digitally and And so this doesn't, how do I want to say it? If you're not on Facebook, you're not safe from this. You might might have one less area of attack. But just because, ah, I'm not on Facebook, that doesn't mean you're you're safe from these dangers I lay out. Or even if you're not on social media, um, the way we have the, the mediated communication now amplifies a lot of these problems. Um, I'll keep going. Uh, in the online world, and when I say that, keep in mind I'm not saying that you're safe from it as long as you don't tweet or whatever. Um, and in a lot of the modern, more distant communication that is prevalent right now, accusation often equals conviction. Um, 
I accuse somebody of something, and that just starts flowing out to all those who want to believe it, and some people will think, that doesn't sound right, and they'll go check it out. But that's the statistical minority. The majority are just going to take it. Accusation will equal conviction for more people than not. And so one person can be offended, embittered, claim victim status, and, and skip right over courts or church governance and, and bring it right into the court of public opinion. I throw it out in my messaging group that such and such happened to me, and I don't have to work through any sort of formal um, fact-finding. Uh, this is just the way it is, and the court of public opinion will figure out whether I'm right or not. He needs no second, no evidence. The one who claims he was wounded or wronged speaks. His word is increasingly not challenged or cross-examined. Um, but, but God required much more in his system. Solo accusation uh, was not sufficient. God didn't seem to expect us to just take somebody's word for it, no matter how much we may be inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt. Deuteronomy 19. Deuteronomy 19 and verse 15. For serious allegations, God requires multiple witnesses. Deuteronomy 19:15. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. And this principle runs throughout the scriptures uh, for trials or what we would think of as the courtroom. It almost always comes up. Deuteronomy 17, just a page or two back there, verse 6. Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. Deuteronomy 19:15 is where we read previously. And then in Numbers 25, excuse me, Numbers 35, verse 30. Whoever kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the testimony of witnesses, but one witness is not sufficient testimony against a person for the death penalty. So God made it very clear that one person making a claim was not enough in, in the formal and... and um, I can't come up with the word I want, and apparently I didn't yesterday and put it in my notes either, but, but God required more than just one person to make a claim for others to then take action on it. And, and and looking there in the formal, but even outside of it, Jesus recognized it in establishing the truth of his identity. Um, in John 5:31. he said, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. That That's a reiteration of, of what God had established, that one person making a claim is not authoritative. And so Jesus, John 5, 31, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Jesus reiterates that. Um, and his enemies also said the same thing in John 8. Um, when they accused him, they said, you're bearing witness of yourself and your testimony is not true. So it was established that just one person making a claim was not uh, not authoritative. Um, in Matthew 18, we have um, relationship in the church. I struggled with whether I was okay saying church governance because it, it applies before 
Anyway, uh, after, after first going to a brother or sister, one couldn't establish charges, for lack of a better term, against another Christian without at least a second person testifying. Matthew 18, 16. But if he will not hear, this is after you've gone to someone who um, has sinned against you, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Paul repeats uh, that phrase by the mouth of two or three witnesses every, every word may be established in uh, 2 Corinthians 13. And in 1 Timothy 5, 19, Paul says the church couldn't um, admit charges against an elder without at least two witnesses. In 1 Timothy 5.19, he said, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. So God called for this standard just to establish charges, not like... The, the the issue would still have to be tried in an appropriate court. He laid out all sorts of things then about how, how they would uh, perform an actual trial on an issue. But to even just bring someone before the court on charges, um, one claim was not authoritative. God required more than one. How quick am I to, well, one person said this, let's pass it on. Or I think this. I'm just going to state it. And maybe that's a bigger, I was going to say maybe that's a bigger danger for a preacher than other people. I don't think so. I've, I've always had that temptation. I think this, I'm going to state it. Um, that's, not, that's not a true witness. That does not fit into how God describes a true witness, and it falls into God's warnings against false witness. God's standard was... You can't just one person claim it and it's authoritative. And and I, I look at that and I think apparently God thought it better to have some actual criminals, because sometimes there may only be one witness to something, escape justice temporarily in, in this earth. God thought it better for that to happen than to wrongly condemn a person by a false witness. Anyway, maybe that's a little more bonus, but... If your justification is, well, but they're going to get away with it if I don't say something, that still doesn't give you the right to throw a claim out there without solid backing. Second thing we see in, in what God lays out um, is you must be ready to throw the first stone. So modern communication, especially Internet communication, can easily feel almost like a game. So if, if you go out to play a game with someone and you don't know how to play it, you, as you, people will try to explain the rules and then it always just breaks down to, well, we'll just start playing and you'll figure it out. And as you play, you intuitively learn the rules of the game and we can almost start to, to communicate that way. And especially I'd say internet communication, modern communication, um, can easily feel like a game where you, you learn the rules of the game, how to talk and act from the other players in the, the place where it's happening. Um, a while back we uh, had the message about mediated versus immediate um, communication. Um, if, if there's, if there's a, a mediation, if, if I send JP a text message, um, I can 
maybe work up the gusto to say something that I wouldn't really have the guts to say to him face to face. Um, in, in mediated communication, what we say can feel trivial or inconsequential or just somehow less impactful compared to face to face. Um, And so that tends to be that people just throw stuff out there. And swaying the opinion against my neighbor has real consequences long after, and I say neighbor because this doesn't just apply to how we communicate about our brothers and sisters, but, but all those around us. The swaying of, of opinion against my neighbor has real consequences long after the outrage has moved on to the next round, has found something new to be bothered and offended by. Um, such ability to accuse and move on was not the case in what God set up in ancient Israel. The witness was not only held accountable for the truthfulness of his testimony, but the law required him to actively participate in the sentence. Um, in the case where a man is sentenced to death in Deuteronomy 17:7, the hands of the witness shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterwards the hands of all the people. So you shall put away the evil from among you. So if I would not be willing, if I am not willing to be involved in dealing with the mess of straightening out the situation, I shouldn't be the one who's out there yelling about how this person is such a horrible person. If I'm not willing to get my hands dirty in, in helping address the situation, I should not be the one who's throwing out the accusations about the person and what needs to happen to them, or even what they've been doing. It's shameful to bear false witness against someone. When... It's a special kind of wicked to bend over, grab a rock, and be the first to throw that stone, knowing that you're lying. But God held God held the witnesses to the same account. Um, of you, you've got to be sure enough about this to follow through all the way to the stoning site and pick up that first rock. Am I willing to be that sure before I open my mouth and say something about someone? Or am I willing to just throw the accusation out there and figure, well, if he shouldn't be stoned, God will prevent it. I need to have that same certainty in the way I can. And again, I'm looking at Old Testament establishment of, of rules, and yet if God called his people to that then, how much more does he call me to now in, in how I communicate? And then the third, the third thing I, I, I see here in, in what God laid out in, in the more formal um, bearing of witness um, is, is kind of a continuation of the second point of just being, you're, you're liable to their punishment. Not only are you, um, not only do you need to be ready to throw the first stone, but, but you, you bear a responsibility. Um, Online justice, for lack of a better term, lacks any sort of due process. Um, not enough time has passed to make diligent inquiries about what really happened. Facts remain shrouded. Um, 
but there's this tiny little window that, that you have to really show everybody that you stand on the right side of the issue. And so everybody wants to stand up and make sure that it's known that you know they're, they're on the right side of this one. The, a declaration of condemnation um, is just kind of expected. Somebody says, throws out something uh, slanderous or, or what really seems like somebody did something nasty and, and everybody expects you, if you're in earshot or if it's in your text message thread or whatever, expects you to chime in with how you also condemn this horrible thing that happened. Proverbs 18 17 says the first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him how quick are we to run someone down who has no option of offering their side of the story this applies both to personal communication people you know and frankly it scales up to a lot of the political drivel that people will try to throw your way as you communicate President Trump did such and such. President Trump thinks such and such. President Biden thinks such and such. President Biden did such and such. Doesn't feel like we really have much option to exercise Proverbs 18:17. The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. But we got to jump on that bandwagon and show that we're on the right side of the issue. In each case, even cases against the malicious witnesses, um, in Deuteronomy 19, verse, verses 18 and 19, And the judges shall make careful inquiry, and indeed, if the witness is a false witness, he who has testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do to him, as he thought, to have done to his brother. So, Andrew did this really horrible, slimy thing, and therefore he needs to be, you know, taken out and tarred and feathered by the um, picnic table out front. And oh, actually, he didn't do that slimy, horrible thing. Well, then I'm the one that's supposed to go out there and get tarred and feathered because I was the one who was pushing for it to happen with my false witness. Now, of course, we don't do any of those things, but we do some of that underlying. We make the accusation and we say, ah, that guy really ought to step down or ah, that person really ought to sell their business and move on or, or whatever. Do we say that? <clears throat> Um, from the standpoint of being so sure about it that we're willing to undergo that same thing if we're wrong? That's what that's what uh, God established in Deuteronomy. If you're the false witness and it's figured out that you're a false witness, whatever you were pushing for to happen, that should happen to you. <clears throat> Slander and online justice rarely sticks around to see how things end. We throw our statements and nastiness around and then move on to other things. Meanwhile, all that just keeps trickling out to everybody else. Those who bear false witness against their neighbors on social media, in a text message, in a phone call, in the parking lot after church, um, they're rarely held accountable for that false witness, even if at some point somebody figures out that it was a false witness. Consequences existed in, in the earthly system God established for the Israelites, for those who perjured themselves in court <clears throat> after they found, after they were tried and found guilty, they would receive that punishment that they attempt, attempted to inflict. 
Um, and the reason is laid out in the verses after what we just read, verses 20 and 21 of Deuteronomy 19. Those who remain shall hear and fear, and hereafter they shall not again commit such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity, life shall be for life, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Um, God took it seriously. Now, I, I want to just then look at two, two temptations to falseness that, that we face. Um, God, God laid out very clearly the, the preciseness he expected of, of the Israelites there in those books in how they speak about the people around them. Two temptations, at least, to look at here for a little bit of that we have toward falseness. When when we revisit the book of the law there in, in Exodus 21 through 23, um, following right on the heels of the Ten Commandments there in Exodus 20, I see two temptations that I think are maybe especially, in our age, we're especially susceptible to. Um, and in both cases, it feels a little bit like um, Satan and selfishness is is pushing us to to make us think our false reporting is is a little more like compassion. Um, we, uh, we we feel a certain nobility in in the falseness. So in Exodus 23 verses 1 through 3, we have you shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil. Nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. Especially verses 2 and 3 are, are where, where I get uh, strong challenges. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many. And then in verse 3, you shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. So one temptation is siding with popular opinion, uh, following the crowd to do evil. So whether on the witness stand, whether talking after church, whether tapping away on your phone, we're tempted to side with the many, even as they commit injustice, because we have this sense of the majority holds the right opinion. The majority holds... Um, the correct view. We take almost a sense of, of safety in that. Well, if most people think this, that's probably the right way. And speaking in generalities there, but we tend that way. We, we feel safest. Well, most people think that's the case, and so it's safest just to follow right along with them. Even then following them into injustice. In, in that passage in, in Exodus 23, God reminds us Justice isn't the result of a vote. Justice isn't the result of, well, 51% of the Israelites voted that actually it would be okay to do this. It's not decided by a poll or a survey. It's decided by the truth. And truth is absolute. Truth is not relative. Um, I don't think anybody here is, is going to argue with me on that, but you're welcome to later. Um, don't think you're going to change my mind, but you can give it your best shot. Um, the, the truth is the truth, and, and justice is not the result of what the majority thinks. 
it is the result of truth, uh, lining up with the truth. And so most of us, I don't think, are going to go wholesale toward the spirit of the age, but the temptation to to adjust our weights and measures toward the masses um, is is real. Uh, the temptation is there to to tweak a little bit how we view and weigh things based on, well, all these people couldn't be wrong, right? Never underestimate the power of ignorance in large groups. There, there's just a temptation there for us to, to follow with the majority at the expense of simply looking back to truth. And when I say truth, I'm talking about God's truth. And then the, the other temptation I see in these verses in Exodus 23 that is prevalent in, in today, especially in, in the way we communicate today, is we can, we can bend unjustly toward the vulnerable. Um, and I think especially of there, there have been horrible things done to a lot of people and, and atrocities to people groups. Um, and I see a little bit there, I think, in verse 3, that just because somebody has been through horrors does not mean that I then just um, favor them in everything moving forward. Because, well, they're the downtrodden. And so I really ought to just assume that they're okay. Um, bending unjustly toward the vulnerable. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. So, of course, looking at Exodus and Deuteronomy, I get the picture of whatever kind of tribunals they would have set up to go and, and apply the laws God had, had established. And, you know, you could almost see a witness or jury or whatever you have looking and here's this man in tatters and life's been so hard for him and yeah he probably did steal that sheep but he he can't really afford to give it give it back and and give one of his own and so we'll just find in his favor that's that's not what god called to um we have many today then that could almost seem, seem more compassionate than God because, I mean, well, if we can't afford to bring that person to justice. And again, I, I'm, this, is in the, this is in the context of, of the formal applying of the law God had established. But the, the temptation for us is um, we need to have Christian sympathy that does make our hearts go out to to the weak, the broken, those who have been wronged. Um, but God does call us to impartiality, uh, not tilting the field toward the advantaged or the disadvantaged. And so I think about when I communicate, I can't just, I can't just throw out there um, a statement or how, how do I want to put it? I, I have to be careful in how I speak about people to not let my own um, sympathy for their for their situation allow me to bear a false witness. Um, if if uh, I thought I would be able to get it together more in words, even though I struggled to get it down in typing, and uh, it's not being the case. Um, 
God calls us to be impartial. Am I impartial in the way I communicate? Am I impartial in I see or hear something and I think, well, that guy, he probably did it. That's the kind of person he is. And so I'm willing to pass it on. Or somebody comes to me with a concern about something. Am I more willing to lean that way with, well, that person has had a hard life. And so I should probably just roll with this. Or am I applying an equal balance? Am I applying the just truth um, in, in how I communicate? Let, let's consider our witness a little more broadly as we close here. Do not bear false witness. Do we have a witness of truth? What do we talk about? No. No, I'll, I'll say it. How do you talk about your neighbors? I, I was blessed by something, I can't get it verbatim, but something Mars said in Sunday school in which in talking about his one neighbor, he didn't condone the sin that he saw in their life, but he, he, uh, he praised or pointed to their effort to to at least start to figure out how they should live. Um, or, or, you know, they, they were, they were attending church there that he, he pointed, he didn't just, he didn't just say, well, I've got this neighbor who, who lives like a child of the devil. He, he, he didn't condone the things that he saw as contrary to scripture, but he, he pointed to some effort that he saw toward right in their life. How do we talk about our neighbors? Do we announce their faults and mute their virtues? Do we lie or tell half-truths to hurt them? And again, that was a like neighbor, neighbor, as we think of people who live around us. But think about what Jesus gave us as a gauge for our neighbors, the people around us. And that's, that's not just the person who lives next to us, but the people, when our spheres overlap, those people in, in their neighbors. So how do we talk about our neighbors? Our neighbors would include our church family, our uh, blood family. Do we announce their faults but mute their virtues? Do we lie or tell half-truths to, to hurt them? Do we elevate ourselves at their expense? Um, the ninth commandment God gave on those stone tablets concerns both our name and our neighbor's name um, and are not harming someone else. Whether or not the world would be better without social media or other easy communication or mediated communication, frankly, isn't the point. Um, I wouldn't mind engaging with that at some other time. These digital platforms display our hearts. If you think that you wouldn't have the problems you have with being tempted towards slander if you just... Um, only ever talk to people face to face. Um, if you've got that temptation, you've, you've got something happening in here that's got to be worked on. Matthew 15:19. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. If I'm a slanderous person, if I'm willing to just throw whatever out there about whoever, that's down in here. 
our unfulfilled desires, our ragged passions inside us, um, they, they lead to murder, occasionally with weapons, but for, far, far more often with words. Uh, James 4, 1 and 2 says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. We have passions inside us that are a problem. If there's, if there's conflict in how I'm communicating and how I'm relating to the people around me, the problem is not the tools I'm using to, com- to, to communicate. The problem is not that they're a horrible person. The problem is all down in here and has to be dealt with. We need new hearts, new hopes. We need the love of Jesus. We need forgiveness and cleansing from him. Um, Revelation 3.14 calls him the faithful and true witness the, to the angel of the church of Laodiceans. Right? These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness. That's Jesus. You want true witness in your life. You've got to have Jesus in your life. You've got to have him be the one who is producing in you. We don't need people who only avoid falsehood, but speak the truth with our neighbor. Ephesians 4.25, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. We are members of one another. And we need to realize that a false witness also may be um, one who refused to speak what he knew to be true, and that we see in Leviticus 5, verse 1. If a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath and is a witness whether he has seen or known of the matter, if he does not tell it, he bears guilt. If I do know the truth, I have an obligation to speak it. Now, we're not getting, this is not a full sermon about communication, about how we communicate in love and truthfulness, grace and truth, um, But I also can't just sit back and not talk to my brother when there is a true issue that needs addressing. We need to become witnesses of the truth before we rush to speak it as if we know it. And we must listen to the voice of truth himself. Remember what Pilate asked, no, remember what Jesus said to Pilate when Pilate asked, are you a king? Jesus answered, you, write, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come to the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. So while the world around us bites and devours one another with accusations and false witness, those who follow Jesus will pursue truth and um, truth and, and justice that is that is established by a true witness. We'll close with Proverbs 18, verses 20, uh, 20 and 21. Proverbs 18, starting at verse 20. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Can we have a song, please?